Welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is the show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. stay in scope on his dark materials today i think we can really because i thought this was the best episode of the season sure you just want to jump right into it i do his dark materials season two episode three theft i think is this the is this sort of the most obvious title that we've ever had yes the alethiometer this right it, it got taken yeah um i guess i did the same thing when i was looking at the title of the episode i was like oh are they gonna get the subtle knife well, you know, you know what really would have helped is <laughs> is showing in the recap Lyra meeting Lord Boreal at the party. In it would have been good. One. No, they want. Yeah, they they should have because done that. The reason that they should have done that is because he then at the end of the episode references that moment. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh yeah, they did meet at that. Like, I had totally forgotten that that happened. And wait, so had he met Will as well, or just his mother? He See, just tried to I talk to his mother. I think he had met Will. I, I, thought, I thought they Will had, met Will had too. seen him, at least. Yeah. I thought so, though, too. So it was like, I was thinking... I, uh, yeah. I consider that to be a, a pretty shoddy recap like of the previous episodes. If we're sitting here wondering, like, did they meet? When did they meet? What like what are we supposed to know here? My one problem, I think that he's actually, I think he's pretty good, and I like the way that they he's developed his character, especially over time. I've gotten a little bit more used to him. He's very not smarmy, but like oily. Boreal, you're talking about Boreal. Oh yeah, yeah, Lord Lord Boreal. Where I had pictured him as more. Um, who's the guy who plays? Oh man, I'm I, we're we're doing this at very early in the morning. Um, I pictured him as more of just like a stereotypical sixty-five-year-old British man in the Churchill variety. No, I I think I'd, I l- that's how I'd always. That's interesting. Them. I like this imagining of Boreal. I think this. Oh no. I totally agree. I'm just saying that it's very funny because, like, I'm still remembering. I have the their re-theft of the alethiometer in my head as of this guy who was, like, the 65-year-old Churchillian kind of character. It's the use of the word lord. So it's in really there. interesting. Yeah, true. It's really interesting that he didn't refer to it as, or he didn't let slip that it's his alethiometer or that he had had possession of it before. Had he? I think he did at some when point. Did he have it? Maybe. Yeah. I, that, the alethiometer that had been stolen all around. Yeah, much. Get out. Who was the guy? What was the name of the guy who with the hyena demon? Exactly. Okay. We're getting off here. What is that guy's Anyways, name? Anyways, 
that was it was a pretty good episode i like the turns um i'm still questioning what the police whether they're all just really in the hands of lord boreal somehow or if well they're fake police i actually mm, good question the thing that i really the thing that really struck me is just like just how wealthy lord boreal is in this world <laughs> oh, right yeah. like so to me it was like oh it's not surprising like he's just a he's just a wealthy dude like just super wealthy well connected so like yeah he can be totally in control in this world Especially in the UK, exactly. I mean, that's like exactly. I was, I, I saw it and I was like, "Ah, oh, it's this. This all tracks. This is fine." I mean, they still call it the House of Lords, and it still does have some power. Exactly. So, so there is there is something there. So, uh, okay. Uh, critiques: uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's changing accent. <laughs> Don't like. <laughs> He's Do not so. Like. The thing that I the thing that really bugs me is that when he's actually acting well, he doesn't have the accent. <laughs> like anytime that I'm like anytime that I'm enjoying the scene with him in it, I realize like, oh, he's not he's, he doesn't have an accent right now. And then the accent comes back and I'm like, "Oh, I don't like this anymore." <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a good um good point. I had been thinking the same thing of his accent comes in and comes out problem is is he's is a bbc show everybody is british so his american accent just automatically stands out so he doesn't need to put on anything doesn't have to be texan no i so (laughs) the um the andrew scott voiceover or colonel william perry really really got me like his his accent is so his accent is so unique like speaking of accents Moriarty coming in there for a second. So I already won this bet, but what were the original <laughs> what was the original um parameters of the bet was that he wasn't gonna show up. We did over under end of season one. Yeah. Or episode one of season two. Yeah. And I think I mean I think that there's a there's a worthwhile argument because we have not actually seen him (laughs) like we've seen him on film but we haven't wasn't that his hand though the the little sorcerer guy well the very beginning of the episode i mean is it (laughs) no it obviously is because his accent is so distinct (laughs) i mean that's that's what really got me right is that like like oh like there's no mistaking who this is when he's talking right (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah also, I mean, it's, it's kind of a. Also, it is ready for him to be moving about. I was kind of struck. Like, this is a tough break for Lee Scoresby. He gets summoned to get <laughs> beat up. <laughs> like, oof. Yeah. Ouch. Tough. But that's kind of. There again, I thought Lee Scoresby was older too. I'd always pictured him as like, oh, as like a little bit older. Because wasn't it kind of presented as this is like his last ride yeah and he'd been really around the block well, but i mean it, it is his last ride but it's, uh so i guess in your vision how did you view his age compared to asriel older but not so how yeah, about asriel older. boreal boreal's older than asriel 
Oh, absolutely. Boreal older than Azrael. Will he have the knife next episode? Yes. And the other thing, I told this was the first real yelling at the screen after the episode where I said, you're going to hobbit this, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You're hobbiting this. You're hobbiting 100%. it. 100%. Um, the reason that I think that he's going to get the subtle knife next episode is because of how much teasing there was of the tower person, people in the tower in this episode, right? So it's just, I don't know how many, I don't know how much longer you could possibly drag that on. Also, there's only four, what, four, five more episodes in the season. So it's not like, it's not like we got a ton of time here. We got to get moving. We got, we really have to get moving. We got to meet Andrew Scott and we've got to, oh, there was a play. Um, We got to meet Andrew Scott and we also have to get that knife. Let's get that knife. Yeah, we got some stuff to do. Okay. Baseball. Take it away here. Take it away. Most important baseball. I don't I don't really I don't really have much to say about this. I will just, you know, announce St. Paul Saints are officially the triple A team of the Minnesota Twins. And I love it. Love, love, love that. It's great. It's great. They can't that's awesome. They can't change the logo. They can't change they can't I don't I assume that they've made a deal to not change anything about the logo or the stadium or any of these things. Although I wouldn't mind them putting StatCast in there, obviously. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I think they kind of, they, they probably have to. Um, yeah, they shouldn't change the logo. The, the I will say this, this St. P is like, they're going for amazingly iconic. Doesn't quite get there. But it's really good. It's true. I wonder if they can. I think. If I wonder if they can just hire that like two thousand dollar a half hour graphic consultant who can be like, oh, I had just been thinking, and then make it great. Is this just because they know that it's going to be a lot more difficult to travel? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this year with hundred percent. No, I think it's a it's a super astute move from the twins, right? Because you effectively have two teams <laughs> that you can draw from. <laughs> oh yeah, COVID. We have a COVID outbreak, and pff, teams just down the down the light rail. Yeah, I mean, who know who knows if it's a great decision for years from now? But also, like, come on, Rochester. Why, why, why were they in Rochester? Uh, do you want to do quickly go through some hot stove? Sure. I do you want to wait until next no, week? No, so no, no, any, any of these these move? Do we? It's a. I guess the whole thing is: Are we just waiting for Trevor Bauer to mm-hmm. move? Okay, fine. We we will wait to do hot stove stuff until Trevor Bauer signs with most likely the Los Angeles Angels. I just there's just it's really hard to get excited about hot stove because it's it's so hard to forecast what's going to happen next year. Like it's so, there's so, like I still haven't come fully come to terms with the fact that there's so little information about 2020. (laughs) Like what the season will look like. Yeah. There's so little, well, I'm talking about like, there's so little to take away from what happened in 2020 to really extrapolate Mm. to like, here's the impact they will have on this team in 2021. Especially when you're not talking about like the super top tier teams. Right. I mean, I I just don't care what's happening with the Mets, the Royals, the Blue Jays, the Tigers. 
and that's who you that's who we have on our like list right now <laughs> brave so sure braves no i i agree okay well, we'll wait okay let's chat about updates from the past week things that we are working on these are updates to the catalog of four seam fastballs that we've been working on which is currently in a or where we left off last week we have four csvs that are nice and clean that are four seamers for left-handers and right-handers from 2019 and 2020 so it's a pretty nice data set that i've actually uh actually worked on pretty well so i think it's i think it's ready for any some stuff any other people to do analysis as well. This week, I kind of tinkered around with a couple of things, um, solved a couple problems, and unearthed new puzzles, as one typically does with data. And I'm curious to get your takes on this. A little, there's a little bit of, um, little bit of just logic checking here that I don't quite understand. But the first things. Okay. Ballparks, things you asked me to look at last week. Uh, this worry with spin rates. We have these. We have these caustics and spin rate. What's going on with them? It's not a single park, but it's not every park. <laughs> so I don't know what that means. So what we had determined last week is that there was a problem with spin rate, in at least for some pitches, and it's obvious that it happens more frequently in LA, the Angels. And for Kansas City. But does it happen in other ballparks as well? Well, this is this is the trouble, right? Is that we're t- we have there is a there is an underlying continuous distribution, and then there's a discrete caustic on top of that. So the question is, can you remove everything that's on top of that? And then what does the underlying distribution look like? So there are still pitches that fall in that that three thousand spin rate gap. Um but the question is, are they were they badly determined? How many of them are legitimate? Yeah, or are they well determined? How many are legitimate? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think what I think we can take away from this is not that is not specific ballparks that we should be worried about, but that we should be careful not to treat any individual observation as infallible. Right. All of them have legitimacy problems. So one thing that we don't have is any sort of error estimate for these. <laughs> I assume, so, I mean, yeah. obviously they have them, right? Like a characteristic error estimate for any of these. Like people who are people who are determining this. We don't have that. So we, we have no idea. I have no sense of what the uncertainty is. Do we need to write like Martin Luther treaties and, and pin them to... <laughs> Darren Wilman. Darren. Mr. Wilman? <laughs> he is Wilman. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. Um I yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm not sure what to make of this, but I mean on my on my wish list for even more complicated data would be just a an estimate of what the uncertainty on any of these any of these values is. Obviously, the trend is good, but anytime you unearth the the global trends are good, but anytime you unearth something like why are all of these really close to spin rate of three thousand, you'd like to we'd like to have a little bit more information, and we're just giving it as a black box right now. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, and then I put together another corner plot for you. A couple trying to trying to tackle a couple of things here. I added two things to the catalog, thinking that they would be interesting and important. I added launch angle and launch speed for pitches that um, that have those. All right, which is not everyone, right? Because it's it's only things that were hit. Uh. Yeah, that that does make it difficult, doesn't it? Well, it just changes your sample. A couple of things here. Uh, (laughs) Like, they don't correlate with anything. They don't correlate with anything. So, if if you look at all of the pitch characteristics, for fastballs, at least. So, remember, we're just looking at fastballs. If you look at all the pitch characteristics, every dimension of motion, velocity, spin rate, release point where it crosses the plate no correlation there's no correlation with launch angle or launch velocity or launch speed because you can square up a good pitch or you can square up a bad pitch <laughs> i mean i i'm actually i'm actually really surprised by this i thought there would be or a mediocre pitch. something i thought there'd be something but there's nothing across the fastball spectrum across the fastball spectrum it's true that there might be something else there may be something else there Huh. But I mean, you can see I have the, you have this plot here, right? And the the lower two rows are the launch speed and launch angle. And man, there's nothing. The only thing that does actually have a correlation is, is launch angle with launch speed. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that makes total that sense. That one we know. That's I mean that's that's a well determined one. But I I don't know. I just thought like okay, there's gonna be there's gonna be a correlation with something. Tell me what the red is. Oh, what, home what runs. Is... Ah, okay. <laughs> okay, well, that makes total sense on the launch speed. <laughs> I know, launch speed and launch angle. Right? You're seeing you're seeing a really, really tight distribution in launch angle. Well, I guess that's... You're doing the corner plot with um, spin. Was this only spin and Y and Z? So no, it's it's so the first three rows right are vx, vy, vz. So I took the velocity, the three dimensional velocity, um, which we basically we showed that 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 encapsulates for the most part all the other quantities, um, vx, vy, vz, and spin, and tried to correlate those with launch speed and launch angle. Oh, I see. Duh. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I kind of like this as well because I'm zeroing in on the three velocity dimensions as something as something that we really want to to work to understand instead of just a like a simplistic like what was the what was the velocity this was released with <laughs> and I think we're starting to see some some of why it's interesting. I was listening to the fantasy baseball podcast the s p n fantasy baseball podcast the other day, the one that they had just the past week, and they they're like all about spin rate again. But they don't understand what they're talking yep. about, right? They just, well, we don't. Eat, I'm not saying we do. I'm just saying nobody understands. Mm-hmm. But people are starting to think spin rate's important. <laughs> we don't know how it's important. We don't yeah. know how, but we know spin rate's important. It's not important for stopping. Right. It's not important for stopping home runs. I can tell you that from this plot. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily. Yeah, it doesn't correlate with um, preventing them. But it also doesn't correlate with with causing them. So, yeah, 
Yes, yes. I mean that that's a good that's a good point to make. So I think in, in a couple a couple of things, I was kind of surprised. There, I guess I'm I'm just increasingly confused by fastballs because if you look at the if you look at the pitch characteristics of the fastballs that went for home runs, no correlations between any of the velocities or spin rate. Like the red points are just evenly distributed on these on the gray points. So this means you can take any fastball for a home run. <laughs> yeah, I guess that. Yeah, that's the whole point. Is it the same with? I mean, I guess we we have to look at other pitches. Um, yeah, this is this is it. I mean, this take... is this is about as much work as I can get done in a week <laughs> on this. Oh, I, I, so... I, I'm not trying to ask you to do that that much more. Um, yeah, it's a good point. Is when you're when you're throwing a fastball, like it's why it's why it's so important that you're placing it well, and it's why people that have accuracy are so are so much more valued because if you're avoiding the pitcher uh, the hitter's hot spot, it means so much more than if your pitch is amazing. I guess I guess that's what we're what we're seeing here is that that it matters a little bit more. The dimension that you're not really charting out is who they're pitching against. Yes, and I've I've wondered repeatedly whether that is something, whether that's something that you can tackle. Because once you reach that level of slicing the data, then you're really getting down to small number statistics. I mean, this is what this is why they show it on baseball broadcasts. Like, oh, he's one of ten against this pitcher this year, or something. Like he's, you know, he's four for five against this pitcher, and you're like, wow, that's should I take anything from that? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> right. And so, so partly what I'm interested in, in terms of that question is, are there, oh, are there players or pitchers that we can lump together to make a data set to answer questions like that? I mean, yeah. Should we just look at it against number, the one through four in the lineup? So that's a good question. So one one thing that I did look at sorting this week and didn't decided not to do anything with it is you can do you can sort on at bat number during the game. So I thought about like, well maybe we should look at like maybe we should just look at like innings one and two. Like what's happening there. Um spot in the lineup would be a good thing to look at too. Well it's um three times through the lineup right so i thought like maybe right. we should Star- maybe we should looking, only look oh, at starting pitchers. maybe we should only look at the first 18 at bats or first 25 at bats or something no i'd be more interested because i'd be more interested in using the um batting position as like a level of quality okay because you got to assume that one through four has got to be the best four hitters on the team at a given time I think for the most, I mean, for obviously for a first order assumption, that's a really good choice. I think that about brings us to the review session. Rafael Montero, you want to you want to quote his line for us to start? I would love to. Sure. Okay. All right. And then I'll before I get into opinions, Rafael Montero, closer for Texas, faced seventy two batters this year. He has an ERA of four point oh eight. He's got a WHIP of one point oh two. He strikes out only 
19 guys out of the 72 batters faced. Not that great for a closer, uh, but he gets eight saves and he walks six in this over 17.2 innings. So scaled up to a season, uh, those are good numbers. Those are numbers that I'd like. Mm, um, outside of the ERA piece, yeah. Yeah, but, but we just reviewed Hector Neris last week and we agreed to overlook ERA. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, agreed to overlook it because one, he's he has a high strikeout rate, and two, it looked like that's more of an more likely to get better next year. Un- it was uh, he was unlucky a little bit. I don't know if that's you see, and and I would go straight to the BABIP number this year for Rafael Montero to say that he's not on, he's not getting unlucky. He hit a 238 BABIP So you're saying year. he's getting lucky? He's getting well, lucky to be able to have the ER that he has. Oh, I mean. Whereas it was the, it was Hector Neris had a th- like 358 or something against him. Uh, complete opposite side of the spectrum. I, I mean, I think that Rafael Montero. Well, I do want to be, I just don't think that he's that Well, good. I... Okay. Yes, I didn't finish... He's the exact... He is the exact example of even a bad pitcher can get saves. I did not finish the rest of my statement, which is that if you okay, look at every single other line that Rafael Montero has, it is bad. <laughs> if you look at... It's bad. If you look at every other year... I mean, you got to worry immediately when they highlight you as one of the top losers in a season on on StatCast, right? So they, they give you rankings of, like, where you fit in these. Yeah, okay, so in 2017, he uh, he had a lot of losses. <laughs> he had the 13th most losses in the NL as a reliever. That's really bad. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. You don't, you don't like to see that. I... Uh, so I guess he's he dab, he he pitched a lot of innings that season, but oh he started some games that season. Okay, so he got he got some losses that way. That's not great though. You don't love to see it. So I think I I when I when I initially suggested that we review Rafael Montero, I was kind of ex, kind of cautiously excited, like oh maybe this is somebody that we should think about for a closer next year. Um, that could be cheap-ish, but still get a bunch of saves. I don't. I don't feel that way anymore. I'm more worried about him. <laughs> and, and honestly, even my first look at him in under Statcast felt good because he's got the pitch mixture that I want from my closer. He's got a 96 mile an hour fastball. He's got a straight a slider with a big velocity difference. He's got a workable changeup. He throws a sinker sometimes, I think, is his other pitch. Yeah. Yeah, he throws a sinker sometimes is another pitch. So I, I like the, how that looks, but it's obviously not right. coming to fruition for him. <laughs> no. No, it's, it's clearly not. Do you like watching him? Watching him, do you feel like that's a, a pitcher that you trust? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's I, there's something something bizarre about goosey. it. He moves slowly. 
Sort of, yeah. I, the wind up. I feel like his wind up is pretty. Maybe, maybe we've just been watching so many like frenetic pictures. <laughs> like where it's yeah. There's not a whole lot. It doesn't leave a whole lot of confidence when you watch him watch him pitch. He totally looks like a middle inning guy. Well, he's he's been yeah. He's also only six foot. The Rays would not want him. No, no. So somebody's gotta. So somebody's got to put him back in a middle inning role. <laughs> I think. Yeah. But I think that this, what we're going, what we're getting to is like, Texas is always the interesting black box where there are a lot of saves to be had because that team is always, I, I mean, the team is rarely so bad that the closer for the Rangers has no value. And they're usually... It's offensive-minded, so the, I don't know. The games always are, feel like a lot closer than they should be. We should take a look at like the save opportunities oh, that's a good idea. by franchise and whether or not there's um, some sort of correlation there. That's a good idea. I like that one. But Texas, and then I was looking at their depth chart. Who el- who is who are the other players on there who could close? I'm not sure who else could close for them. I mean, they kind of, they kind of, it's, that's how I feel every single year about them, though. Donathan Hernandez, is that the number two guy right now for the, for them? Yeah, but that you're right. That's the way that you feel about them every year. And then there's like this other guy that's behind the main guy. And, and then he comes up and he's terrible, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the last last Texas closer that was really good? Really good? Who's your guy that? Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't answer that question. I like Texas for for years in fantasy has been just like I don't know what to do with this team on the closer. I know. I know. On the pitching side well, in general, yeah, obviously. <laughs> well, um, that's a bad. That's a bad picture. Take a look at Jonathan Hernandez and MLB.com. <laughs> no desire to do that. Who are we going? Who are we going to review next week? I think that we're going to review Jonathan Hernandez. Unbelievable. All right, fine. Let's just stay in Texas. Isn't that how you want to spend That's your weeks? Great. Okay, time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter. Fantasy Tools, mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is worst luck to you, buddy. Worst luck to you, too. Yeah.